Bokir Tov, good morning. Always a pleasure to resume our Amuna Shir. And as always, we are grateful to the anonymous sponsors who sponsored our Amuna Shir and our WhatsApp group in memory of Shandel Gittel, Bas Chaim Show, whose neshama should have an aliyah. If you're not signed up for the WhatsApp group, we're on our third group, which is actually almost full. But um, we try to send out uh, messages two or three times a week to inspire and maintain our mindfulness of Hashem's presence in our lives. So um, speak to me afterwards, I'll tell you how to sign up. And if you don't get the weekly email to let you know whether we have or don't have class, also please give your email address at the end of, uh, at the end of class. We're continuing with the Slanam Rebbe and the Shalom. And you have a new booklet in front of you now because we finished last week, although we have five or six sentences left from last week, so you don't have that. So I'm beginning, and then I'll, I'll tell you when we pick up with the new booklet. Kasher Yehudi Chadur Behiloch Machshava Kazeh. The end of last week, he was uh, Rav Pinkus. Rav Pinkus, I just taught Sharon Batfila. The Slana Marebbe was reminding us that at the essence of Emuna is to remember that all that exists does so due to the graciousness, the goodness, the kindness, the continued will of the Almighty of the Ribbono Shalom. The moment he stops thinking and willing is the moment we cease to exist. And that is the thought that we seek to connect with all the time. No matter what's happening in our life, no matter what. We're not, we're, we're not yet on the new book. I'll tell you in a second. No, no problem. No matter what worry, what anxiety, what anxiousness, no matter what is happening, to always reconnect to the thought of Ein Od Milvado. There is no one but him. Naomi just told me she just got back from Israel. She in the artwork all over Israel. It's being sold now. It's all Ein Od Milvado. To be mindful, to be conscious. I mentioned to you, it's the Nefesh Achayim, it's the Slana Marebbe. One should have a little post-it note on the dashboard of their car and of their mirror and in their kitchen and all over life. Ein od, ein od milvado. Yeah, last week I um, was dragged against my will to Universal for a couple days with my kids. That should be a kapara. And loved being with the kids. Anyway, my kids love Universal and their love is only surpassed of the place by their mother, who also loves it. Baruch Hashem, it's exciting to see her giddiness and joy in being there. That's contagious to our family. So anyway, we were in Universal, and they have a roller coaster called the Hulk. I don't know if anyone's been in the Hulk. So at one point, our kids were all on the, uh, this other ride, and Yechav and I are like, you know what? Leora, watch the kids. We're escaping for a minute. And we went by ourselves, Yechav and I, on the Hulk. So we went to the Hulk, and you know, life is very funny. The way roller coasters work is that once it starts, it's not so scary. Mm-hmm. However long the line is, is however long the anxiety of anticipation lasts. Right? That's when you're in line, you start to feel a little queasiness, some butterflies, you start asking yourself, why am I, do- why am I doing this? You know, I don't have to do this. This is not the universe forced me to experience this pain. Why am I... Do-? And you're sitting there and you're getting doubts and they, of course, have all the little... You know, they have the, the big waiting room, the smaller waiting room, the other waiting room, the things while you're waiting. Anyway, so we're waiting... And we get into the thing, and you're going up. Anyone doesn't know what the Hulk is? It shoots out of a cannon, and then it goes upside down and upside backwards and spirals and turns and changes direction. Then upside down and then through water and then it's insane. So as we're going up, I said to Yechavit, heard me muttering 
Ain't od melvado. Ain't od melvado. Ain't od melvado. Ain't od melvado. Because what to me the fear of the roller coaster is not. I love the going upside down and spinning around. It's that. What if the buckle opens? Yeah. yeah. What if? Something... What if this thing doesn't hold? Right. You check it like a thousand times. What if? What if it opens and I'm holding on and I'm flying through? So that was the. I kept having that thought and then I kept saying, Ain't od melvado. Einod Milvado. There's actually a great. There was a video that came out a couple of years ago of a Breslov Rechasser on a roller coaster. I don't know if anyone saw it. And he had a camera on him the whole ride. And he was singing Breslov songs about Hashem as his payas were flying in the wind. So sometimes we choose to go on a roller coaster, and sometimes life puts us on roller coasters against our will. And either way, if we meditate on the mantra and the refrain of Einod Milvado, and we remind ourselves, that whatever happens, happens only because he wills it. So, When a person walks through life with this thought, every meeting they walk into and walk out of, every worry, every fear, every joy, every pleasure, every bracha, every gift, everything in life they associate with, they connect back to, they use to be part of Hashem, then their batal umavutal elav yizbarach, they nullify their will, their desire, their interpretation of the world, their fear. That I'm a nothing, I'm a gornished. That I am nothing. Now, I'm also something, right? That's the famous, uh, they quote it in the name of many different Rebbes, whether it's just Simcha Bunim or the Kotzker or whoever it was, that a person should walk around with a note in each of their pockets. In one pocket... You should say, that I am nothing. And in the other pocket, you carry a little, little uh, petek that says, the whole world was created just for me. And the secret to life is to know when you have to pull out which note. When you feel you're on top of the world, you feel accomplished, you feel you're on top of the world, you've gotten some covered, you think you're in control, then you pull out, I'm a gornished. And when you're feeling low and you feel like a gornished and you forget that you're a child of Hashem, of, of inestimable worth and capacity, then you pull out the note, Bishvilina Vra'ola, the whole world was created just for me. So it's not so simple that you should always think that you're an ayin and an ephes, that you're a nothing, but it means in contradistinction to Hashem, if you're wrestling with who should win, what Hashem thinks should happen or what I think should happen? Who has a better understanding of the world, me or Hashem? Then one needs to nullify themselves. So in other words, any time that you start to think that something else has power, has control, could interfere with, can manipulate Hashem's will, that's the definition of Avodah Zarah. What it means to worship an idol is to think something else can be in control. So the mass hysteria around, for example, elected officials and what they might do to the world without any recognition. Now, understand, we just last night I taught a class on, on the, uh, in the Great Rivalries program about Stephen Wise, Rabbi Stephen Wise and Peter Bergson. Peter Bergson was a pseudonym for the name Hillel Cook. He was Rav Cook, Rav Avram Cohen Cook's nephew. And they had a great debate. The whole talk last night, plus the film that we watched, parts of the film we watched, had to do with the American Jewish, the Jewish American reaction during the Holocaust. What should they have done? Roosevelt's passivity. What should they have done with his apathy? Rescue efforts. Should they have tried to call him out publicly? Do you not mess? 
it was fascinating. In retrospect, Bergson clearly seems to have been the, the correct one, and it's almost impossible to understand Rabbi Stephen Wise, but we tried to understand it in the time period after the Great Depression, and so on, and, and it's, it's a fascinating conversation that continues to go on till today. I'm raising it because clearly we have an obligation of human initiative. We have a notion of hishtadlis. We're not supposed to be so complacent that we say, eh, whatever's happening in the world around us, anti-Semitism, injustice, eh, that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants injustice. Hashem wants BDS. Hashem wants anti-Semitism. Hashem wants six people. So we won't go to the doctor and we won't rally for justice and we won't fight for truth because that's what Hashem wants. That's not a Jewish view. We don't believe in that. Hashem said, I gave you the tools and I gave you the capacity. I gave you the instruments and I gave you the mouth to be able to show initiative, to be able to advocate and lobby, to be able to try to interact with the world in order to bring about goodness and my will. He wants us to take initiative. The question is, once you've taken initiative, then what? Do you still have hysteria? I've taken my initiative, but what's going to be? Or do you say, I've taken my initiative in whatever area it is and whatever your personal belief and whatever you think is wrong with the world that you seek to repair. After you've taken your initiative, are you filled with hysteria? Are you filled with depression? Are you filled with dread? Or do you say, Ein od milvadel? Hashem is the chess master, he's the puppeteer. The world is filled with his pieces that he moves around the board and that there is this balance between our initiative but what is happening in the world couldn't happen without his will. Ein od milvado. I take my initiative. I go lobby, I go advocate, I attend the protest, I fill out the petition, I do what I think need to do, again, whatever area, whatever policy, I'm not getting into politics. But beyond that, when you have mass hysteria, when you predict what will definitely happen unless things go your way, what happened to Hashem Isparach? Where's the Rebona Shalom in the equation? What happened to what it says on our money? Open your wallet and look at your money. What does it say? In God we trust. In God we trust. If you go into the house of Abraham, the chamber where the State of the Union is given, above it says, so much for the separation of church and state, but it says in God, the founding fathers understood that they created a system of democracy which is predicated on all men are created equal and everyone has an equal vote and therefore you have to campaign and there's elections and there's no more initiative in the world than campaigning and, and elections. And yet, when all was said and done, the founding fathers understood that within the system of democracy, of initiative, of advocacy, ultimately it's in God we trust. Which is the same as over the House of Representatives and on our dollar bill, it's saying, Ain od milvado. Ain od milvado. And that's what we have to remind ourselves of all the time. And when you don't, that's what the Salam Rabbi here is saying. When you think that people in positions of power or athletes or celebrities or your doctor or the gardener or I don't care what area of your life you have a hysterical reaction because you think that someone else is in control of your destiny, your fate, your well-being, that is the textbook definition of avodazara. That's idolatry. You have now replaced the Rebona Shalom's dominion and providence and you've substituted it with Basar Vadam, with a human being. The lawyer, the doctor, the judge, the architect, the elected official, the whatever area of your life. That's avodazara. So of course, you lobby the doctor. You have to go to the doctor and you have to work with the lawyer and you have to appeal to the judge. You have to do the initiative and when it's done, you take that deep breath and you say, 
I've strapped myself into the roller coaster. Okay. I've taken my initiative. It looks like it's buckled. Let's enjoy the ride. If you're going to the whole time be worried that the thing's going to unlock and that you're going to fly off the edge, then the ride's going to pull into the station. It's going to be over and you won't have enjoyed it. And you paid a lot of money to go to Universal. Yeah. <laughs> Even with the discounted yeshiva rate, you paid a lot of money. So you might as well enjoy the ride. You might as well enjoy the ride. Now we're up to the new packet. Finally, I'm rejoining you. Page Memvav, you have a new packet in front of you. As long as you think that what you have, you earned, and that you have, and you have it permanently, that's something which is negative. Whatever you have, you own temporarily. It's on loan. It's never part of your permanent collection. I don't care what it is. You think those who had their money with Madoff didn't think that they were permanently wealthy? I have $40 million. It's with a guy who gives me this great return all the time. This is my portfolio. I am wealthy. No one can take it from me. And they woke up one morning. And that's in every area of life. You think your big house, you think your car, you think your relationships, and most of all, you think your health. I think I told you maybe last time, the tragedy, the tragedy of when you see that Akash Baruch Hu removes his presence from a person's well-being and health. You know, I, I, we're learning in Sha'ar and Betfila earlier on Wednesdays, and Rav Pincus has given this metaphor, I don't remember if I said it here, of a mirror. He says the prerequisite of prayer is humility. Prayer is an exercise in humility. The whole day long, you're out there making business deals, getting things done, going to work, achieving your, your to-do list, and you think you're in charge. You think you're the boss. You think you're independent. What's davening? It's strategically placed three times a day to remind you, hey, buddy, you do what you do, but you can't do anything without me. A sense of dependence, a sense of humility, a sense of context. Davening is the anchor that keeps bringing us back. So if Pinka says that life is like a mirror, Imagine if a handsome or beautiful person stands in front of a mirror. If a smart or righteous person, a tzaddik, a tamachacham, someone's in front of that mirror. And then the mirror, if the mirror could talk, would boast. Look at me. I'm so handsome. I'm so beautiful. I'm so smart. I'm so righteous. What would you say to the mirror? Mirror, you fool. You're nothing. All you are is a reflection of what's standing opposite you. If what's opposite you would walk away, not only would you not, you haven't absorbed any of that image. You are only a reflection. You don't absorb any of it. If they walk away, you're gornished. You're nothing. And says Rav Pinkus, we are a mirror. We reflect the image of the Tzalem Malakim of the Ribbon Shalolam as He wills it in us. He wants us to be smart. It's because He's standing opposite us and reflecting intelligence through us. Artistic, He wants us to be handsome. He wants us to be whatever we are is because Hashem is opposite us in a mirror reflecting it. And if He were to walk away we would be an empty mirror, having absorbed none of it. And when I saw that in Rav Pincus, it drove home to me the image that, you know, tragically, I visited recently one of our members who has a severe dementia that has really gone down very, very quickly and went from seeing him in shul daily to saying, who are you? Why, why are you here? 
Oh, BRS, Boker Aton. What's Boker Aton Synagogue? And Mamish, it's, it's like Shivrei Luchos. It's, it's Mamish. It, for those who've, who've seen it, who've had to take care of it, who experience it, it is horrific. And to me, it's the image of the mirror still there, the person's there, and their physical health is there, but Hashem has walked away. He's walked away. They're a blank slate. All that they were talking about intelligent, accomplished, successful, wealthy people. And what's all of that worth when he walks away from the mirror and we're no longer able to reflect his presence in our lives? So it made me recognize, you know, our mortality, our vulnerability, how fragile life is. On a dime, Hashem can choose to withdraw His presence opposite our mirror, His reflection in us. And that's the danger. The danger is that we ever think that what we have is permanent. Our health, our mental health, our physical health, our psychological health, our our relationships, our material possessions. If we ever think it's permanent, our safety, our security, whatever we think is permanent... Jew has to walk through life. Probably explains why we're such a neurotic people. But you're supposed to. You're supposed to walk through life. The truth is, you know, I, I joke in saying that. On the one hand, if you walk through life saying, "Oh my gosh," or literally, "Oh my God," this could all disappear any minute. It'll leave you. You know, again, that's why we have digestive diseases and great eye level. It explains, you know, uh, all of our uh, health issues, our genetic health issues. We become a neurotic. But it, it, you would think it makes you neurotic. But exactly, it's the opposite. If all you do is walk around saying, it could all disappear, it could all crumble, it could all go down any minute, so you're going to get IBS, and you're going to get diseases, and you're going to be neurotic, and you're going to be hysterical, and you're going to go crazy. But if you realize it could all disappear in any moment, and I have nothing to worry about, because whatever happens is the will of Hashem. If I have it, it's because He wants it, and it's what's right. And if I don't have it, it's because it's not what's right. And you know what? All that happens is for good. I was at a bris Monday morning in our shul. And I looked over right when the baby was crying and the mo was about to do the cut. And I saw the mother's face was buried. She was crying. And I thought to myself, wow, what a metaphor for our relationship with Hashem. Does the mother have any hesitation or regret for bringing her son into the bris of Avram Avinu at that moment? Not a one. No one had to pull her kicking and screaming to bring her child to shul. There's nothing she wants more in the world on the eighth day of his life than to bring him to that bris. But when she hears him crying, does she not cry? To me, that was the image of Imo Anochi Bitsara. Rashi tells us in last week's Parsha that while we were in Mitzrayim and whatever we're doing in life, Hashem, when we're going through pain, He's crying with us. Ah, if He's crying with us, just stop the pain. <clears throat> mother in the woman's section, if you're crying, scream to the mole, stop! <laughs> Call it off! Don't do it! I can't stand to see my baby cry, to hear his cries. Why doesn't she do that? Because it's possible to simultaneously believe what the baby is having right now is the best thing in the world for the baby. It's the greatest gift I could give him. But it also hurts me that it's hurting him. Yeah. And that's the Rebona Shalom's attitude towards us. All that happens to us is for our good. Sometimes it hurts. There's a scalpel. There's a knife. There's, a, there's an incision. It hurts. And we cry. And when we cry, it hurts him. He's crying with us. And yet, he doesn't say, call it off, stop. Because somehow he knows it's what's best for us. So you'll ask me, how could it be best for us that children go through cancer, that people experience loss, that have, I don't have the answers. And that's not a cop-out and it's not an excuse. It's because, I'll tell you a little secret, Yochevet knows it well. 
I'm not God. Only God. Only God. It's a secret. It's a secret. Please. It's actually a secret that's all over. It's all over the internet right now. But all. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Yeah, if we could understand exactly why God runs the world, then we would be God. You have to understand that a life of Amuna is a life of submission. It's a life of forfeiting our understanding and comprehension. You want to, you know, there's a, there's a young man in his 30s who used to live here. He lives in New York now. He was visiting this week, and I was so flattered because he sent me an email saying he, he's not really observant, but he's such a deep person and he's struggling with religion in a really impressive way because it's not that he's doing the Torah and mitzvahs but he's not sure if he believes in it. He's not doing it. He could easily not do anything but he struggles with, with not... He struggles with the deep part. He said, I'm in town. I'm thinking about somebody I could speak to about this and I thought of you. Do you have a few minutes? So we went for a walk around the lake a couple of days ago and we're talking. And his biggest issues are how he envisions the incompatibility of what it says in the Torah with his Western, modern, millennial mind. How could a Torah that says this about this group of people and denies this and says you have to kill that group and ah, and don't tell me the rabbinic interpretation. I'm just talking about the text. If God is so smart, why wouldn't he give in the best-selling book? At least write a footnote that makes it clear that I don't really mean everything I write here. Check out the other, you know, the oral part. And, and he's very bothered by this. And what I kept coming back to with him which is a very unpopular and difficult thing to say in 2017, is if you want everything to work in a way you understand, then you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. You're not looking for religion, you're looking for the world to operate according to you. At the core and at the root of religious experience is that word submission. My Salavechik has a famous footnote for in Halachic Man, where he talks about that, you know, we live in this age where religion is supposed to be uplifting and amazing and kumbaya and feel good and spirituality and fluffy and it's supposed to be unbelievable. And you know what? It is all of those things. Shabbos is delicious and the discipline of kashras is wonderful and the experience of the Yom and Tovim and the narrative of our people, it is all of those things. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. And when it's not, when the rubber meets the road is when Amuna kicks in is when you say, you know what, Hashem says this is my view blueprint for the world. It doesn't really work with everything I'm supposed to believe in 2017. Who do I go with? The New York Times or Torah HaKadosha? Who do I go with? The modern fad and phenomenon or the Torah HaKadosha? When cards are dealt to me that are difficult, and everyone has a peckle, everyone's fighting a battle, some that you see and some you don't see. There's a great quote, be kind to everyone you meet, for they're likely fighting a battle you know nothing about. You have no idea in their personal life, in their relationships, with their children, even with their health, with their this, with their that, one never knows the battle others are fighting. We look at them, they have a beautiful house, and I look, it looks like they have beautiful children, they have a great job, and they, they have everything. Only I had. If only you knew what they're going through, what you think they have. Everyone's got a peckle. Everyone's fighting a battle. Not to make all battles equal. All battles are not equal. But people have their, have their struggles. So when you get those struggles, 
you know, if you say, well, Hashem, I love you when everything's great. I love you when my nachas for my children. I love you when my annual physical shows everything is great. I love you when there's money to pay the mortgage. Ah, it's great. We're on vacation and it's not. on the Hulk. It's easy. What about Einod Milvado when you get back to the results of the biopsy? What about Einod Milvado when the bank account is in the red and you got bills to pay? What about Einod Milvado then? That's when the Einod Milvado is most difficult and that's when it's most meaningful and that's when it kicks in. So that life of vulnerability and fragility, that life of recognizing that it's not Yesh Lo Hon Beso, that I permanently have everything I have but the life of the recognition that it could disappear any moment should not lead to a life of neurosis, a life of fear, a life of anxiety, should yield the opposite. You know what? Hashem is my mother watching me get my bris. This is the right thing for me. I'm crying, she's crying, but somehow this is the right thing. The Maharal, Rabbi Yehuda Lowy of Prague, in his Nesiva Solom writes, Amay Marchazal, Igmar and Brachos, B'Shoshot, Yes, Rabbi Akiva, L'Ariga, Zman Kriya Shemahaya. When they took Rabbi Akiva out, when the Romans persecuted Rabbi Akiva, took him out to kill him, it was the time of Shema. Amar Lahem, Koyim, Yomai, Ha'isi, Mitzdar, Apostle Gzeh. So Rabbi Akiva says, you know, my whole life, my whole life I was worried about this Pasuk. It says, B'chol Navshecha, Filu Hunotos, Nishmascha. That, Every day we say Shema, multiple times a day, and we say we're supposed to worship Hashem. B'chol nafshecha, v'chol, what do we say? B'chol levavcha, b'chol nafshecha, v'chol ma'odecha. With all of your heart. <coughs> By the way, it doesn't just say with all of your heart. What does it say? It doesn't say b'chol libecha. It says b'chol levavcha. What's the difference between libecha and levavcha? Libecha means with your one heart. Levavcha means with your two hearts. Any cardiologists here? If someone had two hearts, there would be a scientific wonder. None of us have two hearts. Two sides to the heart, four chambers to the heart. But what does it mean, with your multiple hearts? Chazal understand it to mean with your Yetzir HaTov and your Yetzir HaRa. We have two inclinations. We don't just serve Hashem with our Yetzir HaTov. We serve Him arguably most when we can direct our Yetzir HaRa what that which we have a Yetzirah to, we direct and channel even that to Hashem. So that's Bechol Levavecha, with our multiple hearts. And Bechol Nafshecha, we're supposed to be willing to give our lives. And Bechol Ma'odecha, Bechol Ma'moncha, supposed to be able to give your possessions, whatever it is. So Rabbi Kiva, he's being brought out by the Romans. And what's he thinking? Is, you know, my whole life I've said, Bechol Nafshecha, Amarti, Masayava Liyadi, Vakaimena. And when will I possibly be able to fulfill this part of the Pasuk? When will I ever be in a position to have to give my life? So therefore he said Shema at that moment and he extended Echad, he was holding the Echad until he was murdered, his soul left his body in the midst of saying the Shema. While saying the Shema. A heavenly voice went out and said, Ashrecha, blessed, fortunate are you, Rabbi Akiva, that your soul went out. The Kasha says this, quoting from the Maharal, 
If he was worried about fulfilling nafshecha, why is he extending the word echad? Mavara maral de einlid mosa avas sheish laodem lakadosh baruchu liavas sheish bein beis o avim advekim zeh bezeh sheish lachol echad mehem metzias pifnei atzmo vehem beis chalakim nifradim vilu aavas lakadosh baruchu bezeh sheshav ruchov v'nafsho elav yisbaruch legamrei at sheein laodem metzias pifnei atzmo says the maral the following when you love another human being with the greatest most intense most profound deepest love there could be. There's a bond between the two of you, but you remain the two of you. You're two independent people who feel interconnected, bound together. You feel soulmates. You feel your, your, your destiny is intertwined. You feel aligned. You feel whole. You feel all the Jerry Maguire lines in the world. You feel everything. <laughs> Whatever it is that you feel, you feel. But you are still two separate, independent people, entities, who feel connected. The love with Hashem, dveikas with Hashem, says the Maral, is different. Because when you love another person, you were born separately, you're created separately, you have separate DNA, you have a lot in common that makes you feel in love. But when you're born from the Ribona Shalom, you're born from the Ribona Shalom. He created you. He implanted himself in you. And when you connect to him with love and with dveikas, then you return to Him in a way that you become one. You're not two separate entities feeling interconnected, but you return and become one, says the Maharal. Till you no longer have an independent identity. And that's what it means. He said the word echad, one, until his soul left him and he became one again with Hashem. So he says, Yuyin Sham Barichos, look at the Maral there. Ubir Advaru, Shizahaya Chidish, Bemesiris Nefeshur Bikiva Aver, Shal Rabbi Kiva. This was the new innovation. What Rabbi Akiva introduced to the world with the level of self-sacrifice, the Mesiris Nefesh. Shayatasan Nishmaso Baechad, Kil Mesiris Nefesh Bukhonafshacha, Hayuhar Beshizahu Lukach. You know, there were many who gave their lives al Kiddush Hashem. Despite what it said in the Holocaust statement on Friday, there were six million Jews in particular who gave their lives, who gave their lives for, for, for Kiddush Where they gave and devoted and forfeited their lives to sanctify Hashem's name. Rabbi Akiva took it a step further. It's one thing to give your life for Akirish Hashem, in which place there's a special place in Shemayim for you, and these are our heroes, what they, what they gave. But the highest level is what Rabbi Akiva achieved, which is not just to give your life Akirish Hashem, but to return your soul to be connected with Hashem. We've seen these other svarim that also extend this idea. Our capacity to so submit, to so forfeit our independent identity, to want to reconnect with, to be with, to be part of Hashem. He put us in this world to be independent. When he placed us in this world, he gave us free will. 
And he said, use that free will to determine your relationship with me. For Bikiva, when he understood that his life was ending, so desired to be reconnected, so nullified his independence to reconnect with Hashem, that at that moment, he became the embodiment of Echad. So not only did he recite and say Echad, he became the embodiment of Echad. I'll tell you, I mentioned it yesterday in the Parsha class, but it's uh, always worthwhile to review, that Rav Asher Weiss, the Minchas Asher, says... um, when we say Shema, this statement of Kabbalah's Omach Shamayim, we say Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael, who's the Yisrael we're speaking to? To ourselves. You can be alone in a room, you say Shema Yisrael out loud. You have to be Mashmir La'aznacha, you should hear it in your ear, what you're saying with your mouth. So who are you talking to if you're alone? You're talking to yourself. The Pintalayid, the Jew inside you, you're screaming, you're waking him up, her up. And you're saying, Shema Yisrael, wake up. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem, Yudke Vavke, is Midas Harachamim, the God of compassion, of kindness, when I see everything is good and healthy and wonderful and blessed. And Elokeinu is Midas Adin, the God of justice, when there are things I don't understand, when I've been forced on a roller coaster that has me turned upside down and I don't understand it. Both of those, when I perceive God as Hashem, Midas Harachamim, and when I perceive God as Elokeinu, Midas Adin, Hashem Echad. They're both the same Hashem. It all comes from the same place. That what I perceive as wonderful and blessing and good, and what I perceive as difficult and hard and challenging, it's all from Hashem. It's all for a reason, it's all for a purpose, it's all for the good, even when I don't understand it. I, but I look out at the world and I don't understand it. The Hashem part, Yud Kei I get well. When there's clarity, when the world is beautiful, when everything is good, Midas Adit, Midas Arachamim, it's Kishmak. But the Elokeinu part, the Midas Adin, I look out, I see injustice, I feel pain. I look out at the world, I don't understand it. Says the Klezen Begarebbe, that's why we cover our eyes when we say Shema. The reason we take our hand and we cover our eyes when we say Shema is to say, stop looking at the world and thinking you understand. Close your eyes. Submit. Nullify. Stop looking at the world with the expectation that you're going to understand exactly how things work and why they are the way they are. Close your eyes, cover your eyes, submit and recognize that ain't owed milvadel. That both the Hashem and the Elokeinu, both the Midas Adin and the Midas Arachamim, Hashem Echad. It all comes from the same omnipotent, perfect, infinite, divine God. And that, you know, all of this, I find myself saying the same message every week and I wonder whether it's resonating, because it's easier said than done. We could come here every week and we could study these texts and we can say, you know, that's nice, but when the rubber meets the road, when we're dealt those cards, it's very hard to feel it, you know, Milvado. It's very hard to feel connected to a God who would put us through that most difficult and painful moment. But what are the choices that we have? Yeah. A, it's the truth. A, it's the truth. A, B, and C, it's the truth. And D, what's the alternative? The people who don't believe in God and who just have to live life with whatever difficult cards are dealt their way, concluding that, yeah, it's just, you know, random, it's chance, it's just statistics and data. That's better? That's easier to deal with? It's easier to deal with the thought that the universe dealt you those cards? That randomness gave you that disease or the loved one or took away something so precious from you? That makes it easier? So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's the truth. That's why we believe in it. 
But you think the alternative is an easier option? There's no easy option. When life deals you difficult cards, when you're put through a challenging situation, there is no easy, there's no magic wand that makes it go away. There's nothing that makes it better. You do all you can to treat it, to heal it. But sometimes there are things that are irreversible. And there's no easy wand. And we wish there were, but we don't live in a world like that. And so what are the alternatives? You either believe that there is an omnipotent, infinite, perfect being who is orchestrating your reality for a reason and a purpose and for meaning and that it's somehow best for you. Or you think that the world is just chance and randomness and this happened to you and, oh well, too bad. So, Einod Melvado. Einod Melvado in times of Hashem. Einod Melvado in times of Elokeinu. It's all Hashem Echad. This is the mantra. This is the mission statement. This is the meditation. This is what's on our dashboard. This is what's in our kitchen. This is what's in our lives. Ain od milvado. Ain od milvado. People, it's very challenging when things are going well because they don't realize that's coming from Hashem in those situations. Yeah. For most people, it's for most people it's most difficult when all is going well because that's when you're most that's when you're most vulnerable to thinking it's you. Everything's successful. Everything's going well. Why do I have to think of Hashem? It's all good. It's all good. Like the famous story I've told a thousand times, the guy who needed the parking spot, he's circling, he's late for the interview, says, God, I'll do anything in the world, I'll never speak Lashner again, please help me find a parking spot. Finds the parking spot right in front of the building where the meeting is, and he says, never mind God, I found one. (laughs) That we're all guilty of that all the time. So when things are going well, never mind, they know Milvado, everything's good. Got a great job, marriage is going well, house is good, kids are good. Never mind, they know Milvado, I got it covered. No, you don't got it covered. That's Ein Od Milvado. So some people struggle for the Ein Od Milvado when things are well. Some struggle for the Ein Od Milvado when they're challenging. The common denominator is Ein Od Milvado. Why do we have to struggle with it? Why can't God just reveal Himself and be obvious? Why can't He be a presence in our life so we don't have to struggle with it? The answer is, because then there'd be no purpose to life. You'd have no free will. That you take away the whole meaning of life. The whole meaning of life is that we're playing a game of hide and seek with God. God is hiding and He wants us to seek Him and that's what life is about. It's an atypical relationship. You know, if in, your, if in your marriage or with your children one of you are hiding and you made the other person constantly be on a chase, that would not be a healthy relationship. But in our relationship with Hashem, to a degree He's hiding, to a degree He's ever-present. If you start to live life with Enod Mavadel, you'll see He's not hiding at all. He's everywhere you turn. But to a degree He's hiding and we are constantly chasing. He's mysterious. And that's the purpose of life, is to go find Him, and to go connect with Him, and to see Him, and to see Him. So He doesn't reveal Himself. But that's why it's so easy to forget. That's where mindfulness comes in. Ain od milvado. Yes? I'm, all, I'm the only one who asks questions. I know, I was about to get away with it, but you're going <laughs> to... Yeah. No such luck. <laughs> I need to understand what I'm learning. Okay, so, please. Yeah. Um, Enoch Milvado and the conflict of the world was created for me alone right. and I am nothing and all of those things I understand. Right. I accept it, I live it, I see Hashem everywhere. Right. And I see Him in everything that happens in my life. What I don't understand at all is the Akash. How in the world do you reach a point where you feel a God with Hashem. Where Rabbi Akiva felt? So, right. That's not and, a, and we ourselves, when we say Shema Yisrael, right. we drag out the Akai. 
I never knew why. Right. And I have no idea how to get there. So I, I don't know either. That's why Rabbi Akiva was Rabbi Akiva, and he was once in not only a generation, but maybe a once in a history. And I don't know that the Maharal or the Islam Rebbe are expecting us to achieve that level. But the lower level of Echad, which is to integrate the Hashem Elokeinu, not to believe that, well, the good things are from Hashem and the bad things are from someone else. Or the bad things are from Hashem and the good things are from me. The notion of seeing Hashem and Elokeinu, the good and the bad, is all Hashem Echad. It all comes from Him, and what I perceive as bad is not really bad. You know, the, Rav Asher Weiss gave that to our Torah in the context of why we eat Mara at the Seder table. Because only on Pesach night, when we look back, can we appreciate that the Maror was also part of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. While we were suffering in Egypt, the Maror was bitter. But only in retrospect is there a sweetness to the bitterness when we understand what it was all about. Right, like so that's the Holocaust led to Israel. Well, or maybe, right. At some point I thought the Achad was as opposed to idolatry and the Trinity and all of that. It is. Yeah, no, that is, that is, that is true. Well, it's, a, it's opposed to, you know, the notion of the Trinity. And, and, and we have one God, mon- right. monotheism, and that's the Echad. But it's more than that. You know, for the, for, the, for the majority of the history of the world, other religions ascribe different powers to different, different things to different powers. Right, so paganism. There was the god of the star and the god right. of the sun, the moon. They, this came from this. This came from this. Greek theology. This comes from right. this. Comes from this. Echad is no, no, no. There's one. There's one. Right. And that and that's the concentration. So the level of the Rabbi Akiva to be able to submit to the extent that we entirely nullify ourselves and return to be one with our Creator. I could say the words, but I don't know how to do it, and I don't know that there's an expectation of us to be able to do it. Do people who are facing their last moments, and you as a rabbi who are with them many times at such a time, do they come to such a place mentally that they submit themselves totally to passing out of this world? Um, Many do. You'd be surprised how many people are at peace at the end of their lives. You would expect to be at someone's deathbed, and they're agitated, they're worried, they're afraid. And you'd be shocked how at that time, many or even most people are somehow at peace. But that's the Akhan also, isn't it? To a degree it is. It's the the confidence that there's a world to come. It's the confidence that that it's not all over. Remember, many, many people... Right, escorting you out of this world. Many, many people, by the time they're on their deathbed, there's also physical limitations, (laughs) there's suffering, there's a lot of other things that are going on. But... But there definitely is that. There definitely is that level. So there are multiple kavanas we can have with the echad. Okay. It's the fact that we don't believe in multiple deities. It's the fact that both the good and the bad, that all that we perceive comes from Hashem. It's the fact that the bitterness is really sweet. We just perceive it as bitterness, and we have confidence that from Hashem, it's all from one place. Hashem is the sole source of all. It's the fact that we believe that Hashem is animating all that exists. The moment He would cease to will our existence, we would disappear. Take you an hour and a half to say so Shema for now on, but yeah, on the one word Echad, there's there's a book to be written. Okay, we resume next Wednesday. Mirza Shem. Twenty-five o'clock in the afternoon.